Our reading is from Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is seventy years, or eighty, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. Evening. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Simon, one of the ministers here. And let me just explain uh, the series that we're in in terms of the sermons on these Sunday evenings. As uh, 2014 gets underway, lots of new things lie ahead, uh, as we've been hearing, our, our new 7 o'clock service that's starting in just a, a few weeks' time. We're going to be trying all sorts of new and slightly different things. We had a meeting before Christmas to brainstorm and have some ideas, so all sorts of wacky suggestions. We're going to have people sitting on barrels with straw on the floor and... <laughs> hand out ukuleles at the start of the service to everybody, and it's going to be brilliant. Um, and in one sense, as we said at, at that meeting to those who were thinking of coming to the seven, everything's up for grabs, in one sense, culturally speaking. But not everything is up for grabs, actually. Uh, there are some things that never change, that must not change. Otherwise, we'll stop being a church that loves and honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this January, we're having a little series called Old Truths, New Ambitions, looking at some of the the old truths that must not change, that must remain right at the heart of all we are and all that we do as a church, even if everything else superficially changes. Last week, we looked at the cross of Jesus Christ, the unmovable center of the Christian faith. Over the next three weeks, we look at three more things uh, tonight, living now for eternity, Uh, Then next week, reaching the nations for Christ. Then depending on God in prayer the week after that. Loads of places we could have turned in the Bible to look at each of these things. But we're going to look at three psalms over the next three weeks. Uh, Ancient songs for God's people. 
uh, from the book of Psalms. So tonight from Psalm 90 that we just had read, that's uh, page 599 if you've closed it, you, you might want to have it open as we look at it. It's an ancient song by or maybe about Moses, as it says right at the top. And from that psalm, uh, a truth that has become a bit of a strapline for us as a church over the last couple of years, living now for eternity. So let's pray as we dive into this. Heavenly Father, please teach us from this psalm. Please open our eyes to reality, the reality about you that is so much more enormous than we could ever squeeze into our tiny minds by comparison. Lord, please show us more of yourself that we might see ourselves in, in the right perspective and live now for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Living now for eternity, why would we do such a thing? Use our life now in such a way that we're living for eternity, the, the future. Why is that a, a good thing to do or to, to talk about doing as a church? Imagine your very, very first day at school. I don't know if you have any memories of that at all. I, I think I might, just sort of very, very vaguely, uh, of turning up dear old Mrs. Hodgins, the reception teacher. She was very nice. I, reception teachers are always nice. And then does it go downhill from there? I don't know. Um, but imagine you arrive on that first day and you're aged four or five or whatever it is. And then from then on, for your whole school career, you're allowed no contact with the outside world whatsoever. You can't see out of the school grounds. You've got no adult contacts apart from the teachers. There's no phones or TVs or computers that connects you to that outside world. And you exist in that sealed world from age four all the way through to 18. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, that, that was my school. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to be normal, you should have gone to a state school. No, no. Um, uh, <clears throat> Sorry. don't know where that came from. Um, in that, in that sealed school world, we love you all, um, uh, the teachers somehow need to motivate the pupils to, to learn, to, to work hard, to study hard, to uh, prepare themselves for, for life after school. Live now for the future, the teachers would be trying to say to these pupils. Study now for the job that you get after you leave school. But the kids, well, they're just not going to get it, are they? They can't see the bigger context of the rest of life. They can only see their school years. Some of them might enjoy studying, but that would be just as it happens. Uh, for those that don't enjoy studying, it would be incredibly hard to engage. What's the point? Why would you devote 14 years of your life to studying when it looks like those are the only 14 years of your life that you've got? Without the bigger perspective of the rest of their life, those years make no sense. So the kids muck about, they don't study, they think nothing of the future because they've lost sight of it. That is something of what we're talking about tonight. We can get stuck in a very, very narrow perspective, thinking that this, this lifespan is all that we have. And so we live just for now, just for today. And Psalm 90 absolutely blows that perspective apart. It throws open those school gates and says... Look at the bigger context of your life. It says don't just live for now. That would be incredibly foolish and short-sighted. If all you think about is your earthly lifespan, then you'll miss the whole point of existence. You'll be like those kids who can't see the point of studying at school. 
We need to see our lives in their true context. And part of that, most of that, is seeing how small we are and how brief our lifespan is by contrast with the eternal God who made us. So this psalm is a song about living now for eternity, namely God's eternity. I'll put a couple of headings on your handout. Uh, ways that this song puts our lives in true perspective. Verses 1 to 6 is you versus God's eternity. Uh, 7 to 11 is you versus God's wrath. And then at the end of the psalm, how, how we should respond to these things. So let's dig in. Verses 1 to 6, you versus God's eternity. Let's pick it up from verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years, in your sight, are just like a day that has gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep away uh, men in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. When was the last time something made you realize how brief your, your lifespan is? Sometimes it's encountering something really, really old. I quite like encountering the oldest bits of London, uh, the old bits of the Roman walls that you can find that have been, been there for 2,000 years. Uh, this building dates to the 1860s, uh, four or five times longer than most of us have been alive, I guess. My parents meet in a, uh, their church meets in a Norman building, a thousand years old. I have very little expertise in church history, but it uh, does fascinate me and probably fascinates a lot of us when we encounter very, very old historical things, partly because it reminds us just how brief our lives are. Change uh, academic fields, uh, talk to cosmologists who will tell you the universe is 13.7 billion years old, and that famous fact, if you squashed that into a day, uh, the human beings came into existence in the last four seconds of that day. That is the whole human race with all of its generations. How incredibly short is your life, my life, against that context? But I suspect the writer or the singer of Psalm 90 would hear everything I've just said and say, that's nothing. (laughs) The age of London, the age of the universe even. If you think those give you the right perspective, you are still way off. Those are nothing. If you really want to see life in true perspective, look at God. And so he does. Verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting, from everla- to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From before time to after time, you are God. Did you pick up the present tense of verse 2? You are God. The vast span of time from beginning to end is just laid out before him. Wherever you look through time and space, you can say of God, you are there in the present tense. Remember what Jesus said in uh, John eight fifty eight: Before Abraham was born, Jesus said, I am. 
yes, Jesus began a human existence at a particular point in history. But as God, he existed long before Abraham. To say, I am before Abraham. God is eternally present across the whole span of time. Now, a word, if you don't mind, to the mathematically minded. I know there are some amongst us. I'm sure that some of you are thinking in terms of eternity, infinity. Hang on a second. Some stop working when you use infinities. How can any of this be possible? Let me suggest, don't think in terms of mathematical infinities, even if that's your natural domain. Um, Cosmologists, again, they tell us that time itself doesn't stretch back infinitely. It sort of curls up at the Big Bang and came into existence at that point. The Bible presents a God not limited to time, not restricted to operating within it in the same kind of way that we are. He's not bound by the rules that we're bound by. Yes, Jesus entered time just like he entered space, but biblically it seems that God is, is he's beyond time, the creator of it. Wherever you look in time, God can say to you, I am the rest can tune back in now. Um, and uh, look with me at verse 4. Here is how God sees history. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. 2 Peter 3 quotes that and flips it around as, as well and says, not only are a thousand years like a day for God, but a day is like a thousand years. This is a picture of complete and utter freedom within the time that he has made. Imagine if you could see time a little bit like that. Uh, You could sort of speed up or slow down your experience of it, just as you want it. You too busy? Slow down time. So that a day, you've got too many things to do in a day, make it last a thousand years. Get as much as you want done. Incredible. Uh, Not enough going on, getting a bit bored? Speed things up. it used to bother me slightly if, if there were 13.7 billion years before humanity turned up. Isn't that an odd thing for God to be doing from his perspective? Well, not really. Uh, I'm not saying this is what God did, but he can walk through those billions of years as quickly as he likes. And he can pause and dwell on the last thousand years for as long as he likes. He can concentrate on today for a thousand years if he chooses. Extraordinary freedom and power. This is the eternal God of the Bible, from everlasting to everlasting, and totally free within the time that he has created. That is God. That is God's eternity. And Psalm 90 says, he is the true context of our lives, the true perspective that we should have on our lives. How do we match up by comparison? We are tiny and brief. Uh, Verse 3, God turns us back to dust. Verse 5, he sweeps us away in the sleep of death. We're like the new grass in the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by the evening it's dry and withered. So measured against God's eternity, our earthly lifespan is incredibly brief. Look at the pictures in this psalm of of what happens to us. Verse 3, we're turned back to dust. You know those little dust moths that hang around your house? And if you swat one or or sort of accidentally touch one with your arm, it just 
disintegrates you know, into a weird little pile of dust. And you sort of look at it, and well, I don't know, I do, I find them a bit, a bit freaky. I sort of look at it and go, how were you alive? You're just a dry pile of dust. It's bizarre. Uh, one second you're sort of walking around and flying, and now you're just a little pile of dust. Show no sign of ever having been a living creature. Verse 3 says, well, yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like to be a human being. For all of our complexity, fingers and knees and bones and eyeballs, we are made of dust. And one day we will return to dust. Uh, forgive me if this brings painful memories to the fore, but a, a, couple, of minutes, uh, a couple of years ago I was uh, on placement with a minister who, who took me to a cremation service that he was leading. And uh, it was sad, even though I didn't know anybody there at the service. Uh, but then the minister took me behind the scenes um, and showed me around quite a bit in detail. And I won't take you any further into the details. But it was a, a, a horrific and sobering experience. From dust we are to dust we will return, whether it's by cremation, but longer process of burial. It will happen to all of us. The other image that's in there, verse 5. Like grass that thrives just for a day. Tree and I know all too well how... Briefly, plants can live. Um, I'm so sorry if any of you have ever given us a house plant. Um, please don't be offended if you come around again and they're gone. Um, we're terrible with plants. We just can't keep them alive. We should never get a pet. I'm amazed God's trusted us with children. Um, the, uh, uh, the Bible gives metaphors like this, though, for the shortness of life. Plants that just die in a day. Water spilt on the ground, a shadow that vanishes when the sun comes round. Smoke or mist that is just blown away by the wind. See, life in true perspective is you and me versus God's eternity. And in that perspective, we are so brief. So let me ask you, have you come to terms with the shortness of your life? A friend of mine is in his 80s, and he's working on a, a, a quite a major project that he would dearly love to get finished. And his health is good at the moment, but he said to me a couple of months ago, he's very aware of how quickly that could change. It gives the project a really urgent feel for him. He just doesn't know how long he's got left. That's more obvious when you're 80 than it is for most of us. Most of us are... Uh, are there, but pretty much everyone agrees that our experience of life seems to speed up. Everyone mostly agree with that? Uh, if you're in your late 20s or 30s or 40s or beyond, I probably don't need to tell you that. Uh, you probably look back over the last decade of your life and think, how did that happen? It feels like about six months. Last time I was paying attention, I was 18. What's going on? <laughs> now I'm 50. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, uh, you- <laughs> Even if, even if you're a student in your third or fourth year, you'll be thinking, gosh, this is going really quickly, much quicker than I expected. Can I have a word with the first years for a second? Um, you may not have picked this up yet. Uh, you only left school last year, or the year before, I'm sorry to remind you. So it feels like you were at school for your whole life, because you were basically. Um, So it feels like it lasted an absolute age, but please prepare yourself. 
Right now you might feel that time is on your side and that you can wallow in it for as long as you like, an immense span ahead of you. That feeling will quickly drift away. Without seeing our lives in the context of God's eternity, the, the shortness of our lives can feel very oppressive. For some, for some people, a sense of panic can set in about that when we become aware of our mortality. Uh, back in 2002, Microsoft released, I don't know if anyone remembers this, uh, the very first Xbox. And they advertised it in an incredibly bizarre way. Uh, the advert was banned because people were upset by it. And uh, we're going sh- to have a look. I do apologise if that's touched on any nerves. There are, there are things that could upset you in there, like the whole thing. Um, <laughs> the one thing it doesn't say to me is, can you spend more time on the Xbox? <laughs> Honestly. But people were understandably upset. I remember seeing that on telly when it was out, before it was banned. I don't know if anyone else does. And golly, what a, what a thing to put out there. And yet, that, that is a very clear illustration of the panic that can set in to us and the fact that so many in the UK were upset and wrote and said, we hate this, please stop showing it. What's going to stop us panicking and hiding from the reality of our mortality, the shortness of our lives, living life foolishly as a result? We'll say more about this at the end of the psalm, but just in this first section, notice the first verse. Lord You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Our dwelling place. God's eternity, if we come to know him rightly, isn't just the the right context or perspective on our lives. It can be a dwelling place. Or you could translate it a refuge. The right response to realizing the briefness of our lives versus his eternity is not to run away from him and to hide from that truth, try and pretend he's not really there, try and keep ourselves occupied so that we can forget about him and ignore him. The right response is to run to him, to find our refuge in him, our dwelling place, and discover the purpose of our lives in his eternity. So that's the first aspect of life in true perspective that we see here in Psalm 90. uh, Us versus God's eternity. But the next few verses, we have to say, take a turn for the worse. Not only do we need to see ourselves in relation to God's eternity, but also in relation to his wrath. So verse 7 to 11, you, 
versus God's wrath. Did you notice how in verses 1 to 6, the first section, it was God who turns men back to dust. It's God who sweeps men away in the sleep of death. It's not just that our lives come to a natural end. Yes, there are processes that are now built into the natural world by which God brings our our lives to an end. If we manage to avoid accidents or serious illness, then people say we, we just died of old age or died a natural death. But why has God made it so that that happens to us all? It doesn't seem to be inevitable. I hear that there are creatures out there who don't have uh, a sort of sell-by date built in. Apparently there's a giant fungus in the forest in Michigan that uh, scientists think is more than 10,000 years old and there's no particular reason built in for it to die. Lobsters, I'm told, uh, basically keep going until something squashes them or eats them. Uh, Really big ones are sort of 50 or 60 years old and they just keep going. The likelihood of a lobster surviving another year doesn't really change as they get older, I'm told. Whereas with human beings, the likelihood increases, of course. Uh, Why? Why is that true of human beings? It is God's wrath. Verse 7, we're consumed by your anger and terrified by your your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. God's wrath is the reason for our death. The Bible's very clear on that. The singer's picking up on the Bible's very first explanation of death, actually, in Genesis chapter 3. That is where the phrase, uh, for dust you are and to dust you will return, uh, comes from. So these verses about God's wrath are simply reflecting on the consistent message of the whole Bible, that our death is a penalty imposed by God because of our sin, our rejection of him, our rebellion against him. Now look, as soon as we talk about God's wrath, we've got to say it's uh, an incredibly unfashionable thing to discuss, certainly to believe in today. And in some ways that is understandable. Human anger, human wrath, is often very, very tainted in some way by selfishness or cruelty. So we, we find it very hard to imagine what an anger would be like that is perfect and without selfishness and without vindictiveness. And a lot of presentations of God's wrath fall into the trap of making it sound imperfect and tainted like human anger and wrath. So he's made to sound like a cruel and bad-tempered and intolerant and impatient monster. Let's be very clear, God is none of those things. He's the opposite. He is good and patient and kind and selfish and generous and merciful and perfect. You need to have a separate... Did I say selfish? Sorry, I'm I'm getting... God is selfless. Just to clarify, sorry. Um, uh, You need a separate category in your mind for God's wrath. You can't think of it in the same way as you uh, see spoiled, uh, imperfect human anger. 
So this psalmist is not singing in bitterness or frustration with God. There's no hint of disapproval. He simply looks at himself in the context of God in verse 8 and sees what God sees. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. The singer says to God, you know me, so you know the blackest and ugliest parts of my heart. You know the most twisted and selfish corners of my character, the most nasty and vindictive thoughts that I've ever had. You, you see them all. None of it's hidden. Have you ever allowed yourself to have a moment of that kind of honesty? Imagine your worst secrets just laid out on display. Dig up the things that you've thought and said and done that you've, even you have tried to forget because they're so repulsive even to you, let alone to God. An old-fashioned way people used to talk about death was to say so-and-so is going to go and meet their maker. And some people felt confident about that meeting and others felt terrified. And the psalmist is suggesting, I think, that feeling terrified actually initially might be a good idea. Terrified, he says in verse 7, by God's indignation. Could it be that this is one of the reasons we're so reluctant to talk about death in our culture? I heard a minister recently talking about how people uh, avoid talking about death in the pub after work because they're too tired after the the day of work. They avoid talking about death at the weekend because they just want to relax. They avoid talking about it at dinner parties because they don't want to depress people. And then he said when he runs a funeral and he speaks to people about their own mortality, he sees some people staring at him with anger on their faces as, as if to say, how inappropriate. How could you bring up such a thing at a time like this? And this minister said, well, if not then, then when? In our culture, you can get through your whole life without ever having a really serious conversation about mortality. Could it be that part of that fear of talking about it, to some degree, is an awareness of what meeting our maker might consist of? If he knows those ugly secrets of our hearts. So this is Psalm 90. And the Bible says, our biggest problem. If you see your life in true perspective, in the context of both God's eternity and his wrath, then facing God's wrath is a bigger problem than pain or unemployment or hunger or sickness or loneliness or sadness. Or These things are enormous and awful, but God's wrath is a bigger problem. It is a horribly bleak picture in verse 9. We finish our years with a moan. Verse 10, we live 70 or 80 years if there's the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away under God's wrath. Yikes. Now, we need to know what it means to live now for eternity. We might conclude all sorts of things about this life if we view it just in isolation. And in the face of death, those dismal things in verse 9 and 10, they are true. Our lives, they they go somewhere and then they do finish with a, a whimper. 
But even when our experience of this life is most gloomy, life in true perspective is going to mean wanting to find out what it means to live life for eternity. What, what can we do about this problem of God's wrath? And so we come to the last verses of the psalm. And if we see life in true perspective, we see ourselves in the context of God's eternity and his wrath. How can we live life for eternity? Well, 13 onwards, the psalmist tells us in essence, seek the Lord. I've summarized it on your sheet as seek wisdom and favor from the Lord. Really, those are just two of many things the psalmist tells us to seek that he is seeking. Do you see what a list it is? Verse 12, teach us. Verse 13, relent, have compassion. Verse 14, satisfy us. Verse 15, make us glad. Verse 16, make your deeds be shown to your servants. Verse 17, may the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Verse 17, again, establish the work of our hands. The psalmist is saying, go to God. Don't run to him, run from him. Go to him. Seek him for these things. There's not time for a lot of comment on each of those. Let me say some very quick things on some of these. Verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the light of God's eternity, do you have a right assessment of the length of your days? It is short, unimaginably tiny in the light of eternity. How can we learn to be wise about our brief life? I read uh, about one theologian, uh, Bruce Waltke, for anyone who knows of him, uh, who felt convicted about this shortness of life when he was age 35. And, uh, and he sat down and worked out how many days that he would have left if he was to live to 70. And he wrote the number in a notebook. Uh, and then the next morning, he crossed out that number, subtracted one, and wrote the next number. And he carried on doing that. And every morning, he did the same, 12,775, 12,774. And the number kept going down. Now, I don't know if that's a good idea. There was absolutely no guarantee that he was going to live to 70. As it happens, he's now 83. Uh, so I'm not sure what he writes down these days. Uh, I calculated minus 4,748 days, which probably is quite a sobering thing to write down. Um, find a way under God to teach yourself about the briefness of your earthly life. Find a way to stop yourself forgetting that. That will help you to live life for eternity if you keep reminding yourself of how brief life is now in contrast to eternity. Verse 13. Relent, how long will it be? Have compassion. We live in extraordinarily privileged times because we live in AD and not BC. This psalmist was writing in BC. We've seen since the coming of the Lord Jesus, how in Christ God came, how he died on the cross, and how on that cross he took, what did he take? He took the wrath of God for our sins on himself, for those that trust in him. When we see that, when we see that this awful wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus Christ so that you and I, if we trust in him, do not need to bear the weight of that wrath. Surely we're going to run to Christ. Surely we're going to take hold of that compassion so that God will be our, our refuge, our dwelling place. Just as verse 1 of the psalm says, our refuge, 
rather than a source of terror. If you haven't yet taken hold of Christ's offer of forgiveness and compassion for your sins instead of wrath, let me urge you, run to him, not from him. In the light of eternity, that is the the most important thing that you could do. Verse 14. Satisfy us with your unfailing love that we may sing, that we may be glad all our days. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. This is the person who's received God's compassion, who no longer fears the wrath of God. Let me say, living now for eternity means both seeking an experience of God's uh, uh, joy Uh, here and now, and recognizing that true satisfaction, true joy, will be ours in eternity in a way that we can never have fully now. It'll utterly outshine what we have now. This life may continue to bring trouble of many, many kinds, especially if we live now in the light of eternity. But knowing what the Lord's compassion is, experiencing his love, his forgiveness can be an incredible source of joy and gladness for us now. It's not a pattern of miserable now, happy later. It is joyful sacrifice now. Joy perhaps often mixed with pain and sorrow, but then untarnished, pure, everlasting joy later. Last verses, 16 and 17. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Verse 17, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In two weeks' time, we're going to look at Psalm 127 about how our labor, our work, is in vain unless the Lord builds the house. And the same kind of pattern is in these verses. Verse 16, God must work and be seen to be working for our work, verse 17, to be established. Living now for eternity means... Seeking, asking, begging that God will enable us to do for him what lasts, that doesn't pass away with us to dust, that continues to glorify him for all eternity. That's going to look different for each of us. Uh, You and I may have a long life ahead. We may live to 70 or 80 or 90 or 100. We may have a short life. Uh, I was with... Some of the students yesterday, we were hearing about Henry Martin, who uh, became a Christian at university in the late 1700s, and uh, fairly soon after that went off to India to become a missionary, where he died aged just 31. Just a decade of Christian life. And he was hugely talented as uh, an academic person. Uh, people were advising him against going left, right and centre, Uh, He had the potential for huge wealth and fame in this country and influence. If he'd stayed here and gone down various conventional routes, he could have been a person of great wealth and influence. From what we know of his time in India and uh, the surrounding places, only two people were converted during his time to Christianity. And many would look, look at that and say, what a waste. What an absolute waste. Let me say... Even if only those two people have been converted, that is two people spending eternity now with God. Even that alone is not a waste of Henry Martin's life. 
but there's more. Uh, he spent his time translating the Bible into Hindustani, Persian, Urdu, Arabic, various other languages. What he left behind was a legacy that has brought countless people to Christ. Henry Martin's most famous words were some very reassuring ones. He was very ill for much of his life. But he said this, If Christ has work for me to do, I cannot die. That's great, isn't it? God is sovereign. Whether our lives are long, whether they're short, he calls us to live now for eternity, and it's up to him when he sends us back to dust, and if we trust in him, takes us to that wonderful eternity and joy forever. But we can trust him. If Christ has work for you and I to do, we can't die until it's done. We're going to close with a prayer written by another missionary. Uh, it's going to come up on, up on the screen. Uh, it's, it's a poem. There's eight verses of it, so it's quite long, but I think it's excellent. It starts as a poem and then turns into a prayer. And we're going to use this as our closing prayer now. It's by C.T. Studd. Two little lines I heard one day, travelling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. And then, in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. The still, small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life for a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in daily life. Only life, only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. O oh, let my love with fervour burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, now let me say, thy will be done, and when I at last hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
Father, help us like that to live now for eternity. Thank you for that eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that this life for each of us would be one spent for you. And thank you that Christ has won us for that great eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.